The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Making Money Fun with Shanna Tinjum. Like you, Shanna had all kinds of questions about money and finances from a very young age. She learned to not be frightened of financial discussions and became an expert on managing money in the process. Shanna and her guests are here to demystify money, investing, and personal finance. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Shanna Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge, guests on this show and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. Let's get started. Here's your host, Shanna Tinjum. Welcome back, everyone. I am Shanna Tinjum, the host of Making Money Fun here on Voice America Business. And we are going to continue our fantastic conversation with Kelsa Dickey from Fiscal Fitness Phoenix today with an entirely different subject. And the subject of today's radio show is what a financial professional does not do and who you can ask instead. And we have a little bit of an experiment going on as well. We are Facebook live streaming this on Kelsa's uh, Facebook page. Kelsa, um, why don't you go ahead and and say hello and let everybody know how they can watch. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Shanna, for having me on the show. Uh, I am Kelsa with Fiscal Fitness, and you can go ahead and go to Facebook and go to Fiscal Fitness Phoenix, uh, and you will be able to see us all dressed up and <laughs> watch us live. Um, or you can, if you're tuning into the radio, you can just continue to listen to us that way, too. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. And we'll be taking questions from the Facebook Live feed, and at one of the breaks, we'll be switching over to my Facebook page, which is Heritage Financial Strategies. And so we'll give you those details as we move forward. Forward. And one of the things that I wanted to kind of start with today is I get a lot of questions, requests, and comments from people that are looking to hire a financial advisor, financial planner, investment advisor, that they kind of have some misconceptions around what I do and what parts of your money life I handle. And that's why I wanted to bring Kelsa in today because I'm sure she gets some of the same questions. I would love to be able to do everything for my clients, but I can't. And so what I do is refer out to wonderful people that really can help take care of those things that I don't do. Um, some of the things that I don't do specifically are obviously what Kelsa does, which is helping people with that money, budgeting, day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month type of, of structure. I do not do that. Um, and I also don't do any kind of estate planning. And in a few weeks, you'll get to hear from my friend Becky Chaluka with Chaluka Law about estate planning. But that is something I do not do at all. I also don't sell auto and homeowners insurance, but I can help refer you to those types of people as well. So there are just so many things that I don't do that I wanted to kind of have that conversation today with uh, uh, with our guest. And um, Kelsa, the first question that I want to ask, I often tell 
tell my clients that I really wish instead of a finance degree, I'd have gotten a degree in marriage and family therapy. <laughs> um, I feel like that would have been way more useful than my current degree, given what I do. And that's just something I don't get into as well. I'm sure you kind of walk that fine line sometimes too, don't you? Absolutely. So I say that sometimes I do have to wear the, the marriage counseling hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely either it's a communication breakdown or people go into the conversations about money with a lot of baggage. So, you know, a feeling of not being worthy because I am not making the money you want to make or I'm not providing for you in the way that you, the lifestyle you want. And so then it makes them feel as if they're not doing enough for their spouse. Um, A lot of things, or, oh, you just want me to be like your ex, that kind of situation that can definitely lead to money fights. And so I feel like sometimes I just have to be that third person that says, this is why we want to move forward. Don't worry about the past. Don't focus on that. This is why this is good for both of you in the future. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, it is kind of walking a fine line, but I do feel, and I've always said this to a lot of clients, I do really feel like whatever you've got going on in your life kind of comes out in your money. Do you see that too? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, a great example is just to kind of look over, you know, your spending history. People often say, look at your checkbook. Well, nobody really keeps a checkbook anymore. (laughs) So I think what they're really saying is go through your bank activity and look at all your debit card transactions or Mm -hmm. look at all of your credit card charges. And is that really representing who you are and how you want to live your life? Mm -hmm. Um, Because if not, that's the story that your money is telling. Right. So, yeah. And if you feel like, you know, you want to be a certain person, but then your money's not representing that. But yet here you are married to another person that really does sort of make it so that you're kind of fighting against each other. Yeah. Yeah. And family counseling too. That's another whole issue. But I see a lot in my practice where we're dealing with a uh, with a sandwich generation, and it's hard for somebody to tell either kids or their you know parents that they cannot continue to support them or help them at the level that they have because they're in, in jeopardy of putting their own financial situation in peril. So that's an, an issue that, that I don't, I mean, I, I can deal with the implications of those decisions just mm-hmm. like you, mm-hmm. and we can maybe unpack some of the reasons why they feel like they need to continue to do what they're doing. But as far as like that deeper psychological you know, framework, that's the, I, neither Kelsey or I are equipped. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you say that. So marriage counselor, parenting coach oh, is okay. another one where a lot of times, you know, the parents, I have to some very gently remind them that they're not actually helping their child by doing mm-hmm. something the way that they are doing it. And really their goal is to be helping their child. So right. they're not doing it, you know, with ill intent or anything, but it's all of a sudden sometimes my job to point out, you know, what you're doing is actually probably going to hold them back later or going to make it harder when they have to learn that lesson when they're older. Mm-hmm. Um, and so parenting coach is definitely one of those things that sometimes I think I wear that hat. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Absolutely. And it, and it, and it is harder to look at the long-term effects when you've got kids that are today asking for travel sports and big birthday parties and the latest iPhone and all that stuff. It's harder to really measure the impact of what saying no today versus having what you want kind of down the road for college and retirement, right? Yeah. And I think the way we parent or the things we give our children is one of the strongest peer pressures that exist. You know, you're constantly comparing, well, you know, Sam's mom bought him this for his Mm. birthday, or he gets this for Christmas. And you know, your kids come home and say that about their friends. And it's really hard to not want to do the same thing for your child. Yeah, Uh, yeah. And and the other thing that that I, you know, sometimes have a hard time getting folks to draw a line with is when is it time to stop paying bills 
for kids that are get either graduating from college or moving out on their own. They may boomerang back home for a little bit, which you think is okay, right? Yeah, I do think it's okay for a child to go home, especially, you know, I always say the if you're going to go home and live for a year so you can save money, I think the worst thing that you could do is get through with that year and not have any money in savings. Mm, it's right. kind of like you have you make that sacrifice and then you're not any better off because of it, where you're doing it with a purpose, so make sure you achieve that purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think this is where it's tricky because it's it, there's no black and white answer here. You know, when a child, when you can continue to pay for your child and when you can't, I think has a lot to do with the effort that the child is putting in. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, you might have a situation where a child is older, but they're doing everything they possibly can to you know, find that next job or, you know, something like that. And another one who's younger, but they're not doing, making any effort whatsoever. Okay. And so it's not really always the age. Okay. That becomes the qualifying factor there on whether or not you should continue to provide for them. Sure. So what do you think should be the qualifying factor? Seeing them make progress? That's what I think. Yes. So if they're out working and they're doing everything they can and they're, again, saving money really well um, to try and get their own apartment and they're really trying to have money in savings before they make that huge commitment and that kind of thing, I think that's a very responsible, they're showing that they're being an adult and Mm -hmm. they're not depending on you because they're trying to avoid adulthood. Okay. Uh, Versus somebody who's maybe working but going out and buying a brand new car with a $400 or $500 car payment, you know, taking vacations, doing stuff. And in the meantime, they're sort of living off your dime. Okay, that makes sense. And then how do you, do you sort of help people understand and really look at when it's time to stop dipping into their own resources, whether it's their savings account or even taking money out of their monthly budget to pay for things like car payments and rent for either kids or their parents? When, when, you know, when do they draw the line? How do they do that? Is that, is that something you can help with? I absolutely can. And again, it's tricky because there's not a black and white, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like, well, this is when you do it. Right. Or this is when you stop doing it. It really comes down to the conversation that I'm having with a couple and it feels like none of their needs or wants are being met right. by their budget, but yet they have all of this money going to maybe their children's expenses. Mm-hmm. Then that's when I think we have to have a serious conversation. If you're making choices and you say, you know, we've got a, you know, quite a few great things going on for us. And we just so happen to sacrifice a few of those in order to provide for our children. Then that is maybe okay that you're giving up a little bit to give to them. Okay. But again, if you, if we look at your budget and you are so unhappy, feel like, you know, you can never take time off work. You, you know, can't even just repair your own car, but yet you're paying for your child's <laughs> car payment. Then those are s- some of those conversations where we need to do the comparison mm. and say, you know, maybe we don't eliminate it entirely, but right. maybe what if, and I always say, let's set a, uh, a timeline. So give your child heads up. You're not going to walk up to them one day at dinner and be like, oh, by the way, tomorrow your car payment is due and I've decided that I'm going to stop paying that right. for you. You're evicted tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. You know, give them, <laughs> give them some heads up. Say, hey, you know, we've got 60 days. We've got three months. And, you know, then I want you, you know, maybe in the next month to take over half of your car payment. And then maybe a couple months down the road, you need to be taking over all of it, for example. And we can actually build all that in. And again, it really has to do with, a person's means to provide for their children, and really what are we trying to teach the child versus the effort that they're putting in. Okay, yeah. No, that totally makes sense. And I would also add to that that, you know, if mom and dad are taking money out of their retirement account to support junior or their parents, then it's time to look at drawing the line. This is a great point. I mean, I do think there are some instances where you should not be doing it. So, (laughs) I mean, there. I I guess I kind of was giving the benefit of the doubt where you're absolutely right. There are situations if you are funding all of this on a credit card. Oh, wow, yeah. um, If you are, you know, 
again, not taking care of any of your own needs, and yet you're doing that for your child, or as if you said, you know, or as you said, pulling out of your retirement um, in order to do that, that's probably not a great plan. Yeah, yeah, that, that totally would make sense. And really, the only way they would know about that is if they're, they've got a budget, that dreaded B word, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's hard. It's it's easy sometimes for folks to justify right. spending money on helping others, family, friends, whatnot, if they don't see the 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 immediate impact that's going to have on their lifestyle. And I do think you know talking to your children about money is such an overwhelming idea. Mm. You know, so like when do you introduce the idea of compound interest, or when do you start talking about budgeting and saving and car payments and debt and credit cards? And it's just this idea of like you don't know when to begin, so it's very overwhelming. Okay. So sort of a shameless plug, really quickly, if no, you don't mind, is I, don't. I have coming up in September and October a bunch of workshops and classes on how to talk to your kids about money, and I break it down by age. Mm-hmm. So at the age of five versus six versus seven, exactly what lesson you want to teach them, but then also how do you teach the lesson? Do you play a game? Is there a conversation? And there's a bunch of different tricks there. And it's for um, 10 and under, uh, 11 to 18, and then 18 and older. So wow. for those adult children that we're talking about right now that maybe you come back into the house, um, you know, how are we teaching them about money? What are the conversations? And um, so I think it could be really good workshops. Oh, those, that's awesome. I think that's huge because that's one of the things that I wish there were more focus on in school today rather than, you know, the Pythagorean theorem and how to diagram a sentence. Um, I really wish there were more focus in, in all, you know, ages, even college age, yeah. the first couple years of college on, you know, balancing a checkbook and what debt looks like and, yes. and what a student loan, what the impact of a student loan will be. Well, and, you know, every person who comes into my office, and I don't know if you hear this all the time, Shanna, but every person who comes into my office says, you know, nobody ever taught me how to do this. Or yep. My parents never taught me how to do this. And so my challenge for parents listening or watching on Facebook Live is to do not do that to your children. Mm. So even if you're not sure what to say, just start. Yeah. Just start with one conversation. Yeah. You know, just have one little thing and then a couple months down the road have another conversation. It doesn't have to be a all or nothing mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So just start talking to your kids about money. Yeah, now that's a great um, point. And I want to ask you, at what age do you think it is appropriate to start having conversations with kids about money? Like really, really, really young? You know what's crazy? So there was a study done that shows that children start to learn about money at the age of two. Really? Two years old. So my thing is if you're not going to talk to them about money, they're going to start learning, and what are they going to learn? And so really the study showed that what they learn at the age of two – is the observations. So when you leave every day for work, are you excited to go to work or do you complain and say, I got to go to work because I got to pay bills, mm, you know? Good point. And if that's the case, then um, that's what they're picking up on, your mm. energy around mm. money at the age of two. So, you know, every day when I leave the house, I tell my daughter, like, mommy's going to work. I'm going to go help people today. Oh, and wow. I want her to know that I think work is a valuable thing. I think right. it's a wonderful thing. And, right. Um, yeah, so at the age of two. Wow. Yeah. Now, of course, you don't need to teach your two-year-old compound interest. <laughs> but you don't need to sit down with the budget and go no. through it. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> get, good. Pull up Excel, yeah, you know, I'm get them on the keyboard, <laughs> you know. Glad to hear that because that would be really confusing. But but I do also, I love what you said there because I do also try to shift my client's mindset, and I know you do this way more than I do, from I can't afford it to 
I'd rather spend that money someplace else because that's a bad lesson for the kid to learn too, oh, I yeah. think. I, you know, I actually think the word budget is such a good thing for yeah. them to hear. So some people say, well, I don't want them to feel like we're in trouble. Nope, I don't mm-hmm. want them to feel like you're in trouble either. I want them to know that mommy and daddy have a plan in place with their money and this is what we're choosing to yeah. do with it. So yeah. using those words, like we're on a budget and this isn't part of the budget. Right. Don't make budget a scary thing or a restrictive thing and make sure that you're not only using the word budget to say that's not in the budget, right. but when you get to do things, say we get to do this because it was in the budget like you Mm -hmm. have to have a positive relationship not just the negative like oh we never get to do anything because of a budget yeah that's a great point and and I think the other part that I want to to bring up is you know we can talk about this a lot more after the break is entrepreneurs uh, I kind of have an interesting opportunity here with kids I've talked to a lot of my clients whose parents owned a business and I've had them tell me over and over again we could tell when the business was well, was going well, and we could also tell when it wasn't. Oh, wow. You know, and, and that impacts them moving forward for the rest of their lives, really. And that's the, you know, if you're not having conversations, your kids are still learning. Right. So they're observing, mm. they're seeing that, you know. Um, and I think it's almost better to have a conversation versus assuming that, you know, what are they learning? You know, don't, or take the guesswork out of it. Right. Have the conversation so you know exactly what they're hopefully taking from it. Mm, that's a great point. And maybe just reconfirming or asking. Asking them, like, how does that make you feel, or you yeah. know, what are, what are you thinking about that, and exactly. and, and doing age appropriate activities, like you mentioned. Yeah, or and I think getting them involved. So you know, saying something like, "Hey, we all want to go to Disneyland, right? Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. What can we do to save money? What can we do to help around the house so that Disneyland is is easier to afford, or we can go a little sooner?" And you know, you'll be surprised. Even young young children will turn off the lights. Mm. Um, young children will say things like, mommy, I don't need that when they're at the grocery store. Um, And so as opposed to I want, I want, I want, because you're getting them excited and the trade-off is something that they want. So always try to talk with money at a young age with something that's fun. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're talking about making money fun, right? Right, exactly. um, You know, if you say something like, oh, how can we save money to pay for this car repair? Like they're not (laughs) going to understand that. And so make it fun. Like how can we have more money to spend in Disneyland? Mm -hmm. Or how can we make it so that we can go to Disney, let's all help out. Let's all contribute. Right. Wow. And and like, you know, back to the, the finding something that's fun for them, you know, giving them a goal and, and having them create income, that's sort of teaching them to be entrepreneurs, which we love. So exactly. at a very young age, they're, they're contributing to the household in a way that is constructive and that builds those great money habits. Right. Wow. I love mm-hmm. that. I think that's that's phenomenal. And the the other side of that, too, is really, you know, making sure that the whole family is reinforcing that same message, right? Because I often see spouses or parents and, and children, you know, dealing with grandchildren that have vastly different opinions or or feelings about money, and, and it's a conflicting message. Yeah, and you know what we're talking about? I know we, we're nearing break here, so... Um, is we're talking about setting boundaries, yeah. whether it's from a grandparent, whether it's from your other spouse, whether it's the children setting boundaries or peer pressure from other people, mm-hmm. you know, their friends, parents who are yep. buying things, but just setting boundaries over your money and saying, yeah. this is my money. We're going to do with it what's best for our family. Wow. That's awesome. I love that. We're going to talk more about that when we come back from the break. I'm Shanna Tingem, the host of Making Money Fun. to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Are you going through a life change like divorce, death of a spouse, or starting a business? Are you tired of financial professionals talking at you instead of with you? Are you worried that you may not have enough money to retire or to live the lifestyle you want in retirement? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need to contact Heritage Financial Strategies today. At Heritage Financial Strategies, we'll get to know your goals and dreams and design a plan together to get to achieve those dreams. Call 480-397-1184 or visit heritagefinancialad.com. My goal is to develop a relationship where you feel like you can ask me any question and know that I'll give you an honest answer. Again, that's 480-397-1184 or heritagefinancialad.com. Shanna Tinjum, Registered Representative, Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. Shannon Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. are listening to Making Money Fun with your host, Shanna Tinjum. To reach Shanna or her guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Shanna at heritagefinancialaz.com. Now, back to Making Money Fun. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Shanna Tinjum, the host of Making Money Fun, and with me today is Kelsa Dickey with Fiscal Fitness Phoenix. Say hi to everybody, Kelsa. Hi, everybody. And we're saying hello to everybody on our Facebook live stream as well. So go on over to the the Fiscal Fitness Phoenix Facebook page, and you'll be able to see us and ask us questions. And we have some really great questions that we want to talk about that we started chatting about during the break, but we want everybody listening to the radio show to have the benefit of those same answers as well. And part of this conversation really revolves around boundaries, as we were saying, when we started, right? Yes, absolutely. And and I think that's a super hard subject to really grasp. And it, it, it's something I struggle with still all the time, whether it's dealing with fe- people that work in my practice, my clients, my family, my friends. We always want to, we want people to like us and we want to be able to say yes to everything, don't oh, we? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And we want, I mean, of course, we all want to do more and more and more for our children right. or even our spouse, right. you know, right. um, but making sure kind of prioritizing what those things are that are most important Mm -hmm. and I always say like it's better I think to have two of the things fully than 10 things just a little bit or not fully yeah you know where I think people tend to sort of divide and conquer their money a little too much Mm -hmm. and then what happens is they divide and not conquer anything so (laughs) you know we're have you know focus on two great things you can have um, and maybe slowly build on the other things or you know Mm -hmm. it doesn't make you feel like you're living without then yeah I know that's a great point and so to to uh, rewind a little bit we we started talking about allowance at the break and I want to talk a little bit more about it now as far as you know what what are some of the boundaries some of the rules that, that you like to see Kelsa with respect to putting an allowance light on item in the budget and teaching kids to manage that allowance yes okay so an allowance is such a uh a high pressure, you know, topic. So people feel very strongly about allowance. I personally feel that the best way to teach children about money is to put it in their hands. And the best way to do that is through an allowance. So you could absolutely just give them money, 
but I think that defeats the purpose of teaching them, you know, what a work ethic is in order to earn money, mm-hmm. as you were, you know, mentioning sort of towards the end there. Um, and so I think the best thing is to have a list of chores that they do because they're simply part of the family. Right. So they don't get paid for them. Um, they either have to s- help set the table at dinner or they have to clear the table after dinner or something, and they don't get paid for that. They simply have to do it. Right. Um, and then there's a list of things that they can do where they have to do them on a regular basis. They have to do them well, and as a result, they can get a little bit of an allowance for them. Okay. okay? They can't can't do the allowance chores before doing the non-allowance chores. Okay, so that's sort of a tip there. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they can you can have a list of things, maybe in your head or um, sort of just a coaching opportunity where they want to earn extra money on top of their allowance. Mm-hmm. And when they come to you and they say, hey, I need an extra $20 because I want to buy a new laptop, for example. Mm-hmm. Or as Ann says, her 16-year-old stepson is saving to fix his car so that he can drive to volunteer opportunities in the community. So maybe he comes to them and says, I want to earn some extra money. How can I do that? Um, don't give them an answer. So <laughs> say, you know, there's a lot of things around the house that need done. You know, can you go out and, you know, find something? And then when you c- come back to me and tell me what it is, and I'll tell you how much you can earn for it. You're essentially teaching them to identify a problem and then come up with a solution for it, as opposed to pointing at something and saying, do this, do this, do this. Uh, it'll actually then, too, the next time they need money, they'll actually come to you with a solution as opposed to you always having to stop what you're doing and, you know, guide them in the solution. Uh, that's a great point. I absolutely love that. And I think that that's also teaching kids to be a little more entrepreneurial, a little more self-sufficient, mm-hmm. and you don't have to be the keeper of the allowance. Yes. And and I think that that, I love that idea. I and, also think when it comes to the boundary uh-huh. of you know, do I get a say in what they do with the money? And this is another one of those really people feel very passionately about this answer. So I feel like your job is to guide them Mm -hmm. and let them make some bad decisions. You know, if they decide to buy something and then the next week they don't have enough money for something else, I know that's painful and you want to kind of be like, well, I told you so. (laughs) But that's how they're going to learn the next time to maybe stop and think about making a purchase before they do it. And again, really the goal of giving your kids money while they're in your house is so that they can learn how to do this while they're in the safety and security of your home. Mm-hmm. So if they learn it later, it's going to be a lot more painful Yeah. versus when they're learning it now and it's, you know, a video game versus a DVD or, right. you know, something like that will be the end of the world to them. But we know it's not really, it's not. So <laughs> that's why I think guiding them and letting them learn through those mistakes is actually how they're going to learn how to manage their money better going forward. I think that's probably part of the reason why so many people don't have great money management skills is that mom and dad kind of always stepped in and fixed it. Before yes. it became a problem. And so I, I see that as huge. I see that as really important for them. And I, you know, I, I get it. Like, this is not always easy. So no. there's, as parents, I just want to sort of say that there's going to be times where you do bail them out. And mm-hmm. it maybe wasn't the right answer, but it's sometimes just so hard to see them go through pain or yeah. to... You know, you just want to like pick them up, yeah. you know, if they're crying, for yeah. example. So I can fix this. Yeah. And yeah. so there will be times where you do that, but then hopefully there will be times where you allow them to learn from their mistakes too. Yeah. That's, so. a, that's a really great point. That's, that's really great. Now, it's kind of moving forward with the savings and, you know, what to do with money question. I think that um, Anne has also asked, what do you do with money received as wedding gifts? And what's your opinion on, and I'm going to lump that all kind of together with found money. So if you end up getting a unexpected inheritance from Uncle George twice Mm -hmm. removed or a check that you weren't expecting, what do you do with that? What do you suggest people do with that? If it's a lot of money, and again, a lot is sort of a relative term. So this could be a lot to one person and not a lot to somebody else. But if it's a lot of money to you, the first thing I would do is stick it in a savings account. 
and just take a breath. Mm-hmm. Do not make any ration or irrational, quick decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times when that happens and you get a lot of money, what happens is you have an emotional reaction. Mm-hmm. So either your heart starts pumping, you're excited. Um, also, if you've kind of found yourself in this cycle of making bad decisions in your past with money, you immediately start to feel nervous. Like, right. oh my God, am I going to make a bad decision? So you know what? Take yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. Just stop for a second. Let that die down. Almost get to a point where you've ignored it. Mm. And you've forgotten about it. Because the other thing that happens is as soon as you get money, you start to make a list in your head of all the million things you'd like to do with it. (laughs) And you spend it like 10 times over, right? Yes, always, always. So, you know, my next tip is to write down the list of priorities that you have Mm -hmm. and make sure you see the total. Because like you, you just said, whatever ideas you have in your head, if you don't get them on paper, I promise you. I promise you, all the things you want to do is more money than you actually just got. Okay, <laughs> it happens a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. So you have to make it so that you at least see it on paper. Okay. Um, because that's going to make it so you say like, oh yeah, you know, I'm not going to do that one, mm-hmm. but this one I'm actually going to move to the top or right. something like that. Uh, the other thing is, you know, call your financial advisor, call your financial coach, get some feedback, and they're going to take the emotion out of it yeah. for you. Yep. Which again, you don't want to make a decision when you're emotionally. I always say people, none of us, myself included, we don't make good decisions when we're rushed or panicked. Yep. So we don't want to make big financial moves when we're rushed or panicked. Right, right. And I think having that second set of ears and eyes on the problem kind of helps you become a little more objective. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to listen to us. <laughs> we, we, we hope you do, but it doesn't always happen that way. And I, I tell right. my clients, hey, if I were you, this is what I would do, but it's your money. So, you know, if, if, if ultimately you don't take my advice, n- not the end of the world, right. but I'm going to at least try to step back and give you some idea of what the most practical thing in my mind will be for you to do. Does right. that make sense? Absolutely. So I, yeah. I definitely see that that is, um, and, and I deal with that as well. So if somebody is paying off debt in, in their financial journey and they get found money, I suggest let's put it there. Yes. If somebody is saving for a new car or a kid's college education or something imminently coming up, then I suggest we put part of it there. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how you feel about this, but whenever I get quote unquote found money or I get, my clients do, I always suggest they use a little bit of it. Re- a little bit is relative again. Yes. But use a little bit of that for something fun. Oh, I totally agree. I actually say 90-10. So 90% is responsible. Okay. But here's the, so the other 10% you can enjoy. And again, if we're talking about a million dollars, we might not (laughs) want to spend a hundred thousand dollars, but maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, it depends on where you're at in your life. So, right. um, but I would say you have to do the 90% first. Mm. So whatever the 90% is, whether it's supposed to go towards debt, investments, you know, paying something off, you know, yada, yada, you have to do that first. And then the 10% is yours. Your mm. reward for doing something responsible to 90% is that you get to enjoy 10% of it. Mm. But you don't get to spend the 10% first. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. No, I think that's a good point <laughs> because then I think we end up spending the 10% a few times. Yes. If we're not careful. <laughs> Right. So I think that that's a really, really, really good point. So an- another question that came in was regarding life insurance for, for kids. And that kind of leads very nicely into the estate planning conversation, which I don't do, by the way, but I do know enough about estate planning to recognize when somebody's done a good job and to really make some recommendations when they haven't. So if any of you are listening, do not have a will in place. Please, please, please at least get that in place. Your will and your healthcare powers of attorney and your HIPAA forms are so, so important. And in the state of Arizona, a lot of people don't realize this, 
you have to have a separate power of attorney for health care and mental health care power of attorney. They mm -hmm. serve two different purposes. One is if you're physically not able to make health care decisions, and, and the other one is mentally if you're not able to make health care decisions. And Shanna, let me ask you this. how mm -hmm. If you have that in place and it's five years old, is it still okay? Is it forever? Do you have to kind of renew it, resign it, have That's a, a new question. notary on it? Or? I recommend, typically those are good forever unless mm -hmm. you've moved from another state. So if okay. you've moved into Phoenix and have an old health care power of attorney from another state, that needs to be redone. Okay, mm -hmm. but if if you if you did it here and it's ten years old, it probably is still applicable and appropriate. But I always recommend my clients review their will, their trust, and any of their state planning documents every three to five years at minimum, or if they have a life change—a marriage, divorce, a new baby, something like that. So those, and a lot of people also don't realize that that the estate planning documents are state specific. So if you move here with old documents from another. Uh, state, they're not going to work the way you had hoped that they do here. And life insurance kind of dovetails into the estate planning conversation. So the question that we got from Jane was, do do should we get life insurance on our kids? And the answer that I that I normally give is if you have a life insurance policy on you as mom and dad, you can usually add something called a child rider to it very, very, very inexpensively. And that's the place I would start because it allows you to get that child covered through age 18 should you need to, and this is a, uh, you know, a morbid thought, but should you need to bury them, it will allow you to cover that burial and any of those expenses up through age 18 and you know, get that taken care of. And it's, uh, as a writer on your life insurance policy, really, really, really inexpensive. And I think, you know, like you said, this is such a morbid thought, you know, but really it's there because you're going to have so much else to worry about. You're yeah. going to have so much more emotionally going on. Yes. And this extra money, it will just yeah. make that a little easier. Well, a and yeah. A little. A little. I mean, no. at least you don't yeah. have to worry about it. How I am I going to do? How right. am I going to pay how for it? How am I going to pay for it? And we've all seen the GoFundMes and all of that yeah. on Facebook for people that are having to bury kids. And I cannot imagine having to bury a child, but then having to figure out how to pay for it. Yes. Because mo pe most people don't realize or, that the average funeral is ten to $20,000. Or imagine, oh gosh, this just makes my stomach hurt. Imagine, know. you know, you put 20000 on a credit card, and five years later you're still paying that credit card, and it was wow. to bury do something child. that yeah. traumatic. Like you're reliving it over oh. and over and over and over again in such a painful way. So I can't yeah. imagine. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, the other instance where, where life insurance may make sense and – is is if you're using it for college planning purposes, there are some applications there, and so I am not one of those that that advisors that believes every person living needs life insurance. But if there are reasons for it, then I definitely can see those applications. So that th those are some instances where I would recommend that you look at life insurance. But the flip side of that too is if mom and dad have a life insurance and kids are under 18, and mom and dad or mom or dad passed away, and kid is going to inherit a substantial a substantial amount of money, you need to look at doing a living trust because to give a 10 or 12 year old a million dollars is just a recipe for a disaster unless you've got an extraordinary 10 or 11 year old. <laughs> <laughs> like you've taught them really well up to this point and they have people in their life that can help because right. that's just um, really giving, you know, pouring fire on a, on a, uh, uh, water on a fire. It, c it could really be difficult. So, you know, that, that's a, that's something that I wanted to make sure everybody was aware of is estate yeah. planning, especially when you have kids, is so critical. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that answers your question, Jane, on life insurance. I think that was an excellent question. Yeah. I get that question all the time, yeah, actually. I do, yeah, I do too. And so, I, you know, you, you see on TV the Gerber Grow Up Plan and all those types of things. And all that is is whole life insurance, which any 
a financial advisor, insurance broker can help you uh, price out and, and look at if that's something that you're interested in. So, you know, again, I don't do estate planning, but I can definitely look at, at people's documents and recognize where there might be holes and, and kind of move them uh, move them in that direction. So, mm-hmm. so that, you know, I think that's really important to, to take a look at. And, you know, sort of as we move into into that piece. And we're, we're coming up on our, our last break here, but we also have another question about Roth IRAs, traditional 401ks. There's been a lot of chatter. Um, if you hadn't already realized this, we're going through an election cycle right now. <laughs> Wait, what? Who's really? The, I don't know who the candidates are. Oh, my are. gosh. <laughs> gosh. I know. That's a whole like, ignore it. different show, I think. But there's been a lot of chatter about changing our tax structure and our tax code, which, by the way, is something I don't don't do either. So I think that that is a, um, a great question and one that, that um, you know, I get a lot is, well, you know, what should I do as a result of candidate A or candidate B being elected? Should I make any changes right. to my budget, my financial plan, my life insurance, um, and all of that fun well, stuff? even just a follow-up question we just got, which is great. You know, Ginny asks, would you put any money in the stock market right before the election? And I know, I mean, I'm a little scared. Yeah. I think we all are, honestly, and it, it, and, that, and that's not unusual b- prior to a big decision like what we've got coming up being made. Mm-hmm. And what I tell all of my clients is that the stock market honestly doesn't really care who's elected. It just wants to know. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's actually the anticipation leading up to it that yes. causes the yes. variable so, nature of it. Exactly. And so the question to, to answer your question about, you know, would you put any money into the stock market now? The answer I would say is if you have money, invest it. Don't not invest it in fear. Because like Mm -hmm. you just said, we make bad decisions Mm -hmm. when we're fearful, right? So if you have money to invest, invest it. If you don't, then don't. I mean, it's a pretty simple um, pretty simple answer. I don't think we're in, no matter who's elected, for anything catastrophic in the market. There just isn't any any, um, indication that, that that is coming. Although... We're due for a correction. Mm-hmm. We we haven't. It's been a while, and we haven't uh, we haven't seen one in a while. So anything is possible, and you know it, it, we just never know. Yeah, and I also would say you know if you've got a great relationship with your financial advisor, mm-hmm. which hopefully you do, mm-hmm. then there's nothing to you know to say to call them and say you know what let's put this in a money market account for two months, right. three months. You know we're not saying sit on it for four years or anything like that but um, and then or just sort of say make this purchase when you feel like it's a good time to make the purchase maybe when we're not way up here Um, (laughs) right so you know having that relationship and letting them you know because every client is different yeah so I agree completely and I think a lot of it's got to come down to what you're comfortable with but even in markets like we are in today which we're at an all-time high um, I think that there are still opportunities for good investments that are on sale. And yeah. so those are, you know, maybe what you look for if you're fear- fearful that you're buying at a higher price. There's also a lot of statistical evidence that it could go even higher mm-hmm. in the coming years. And so, you know, who knows? I wish I had a crystal ball. Uh, if, I, <laughs> if I did, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be out playing lotto numbers or something. Um, but I, I think that it's it's uh, investing. And if you go back and listen to my first couple of shows that that I where I talked to a, to a couple of authors about this is so much about behavior. It's actually more about behavior than the investments you select. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I tell everybody that is that is asking me that question. What should I do? Should I make any changes? My answer is whatever you were doing, keep doing it. So stick to the behavior yeah. of solidly investing you got consistently, it. and it's the yep. consistency that is actually 
is what pays off. Oh, 100%. It is how well you do when you're older has more to do with consistency and behavior than it has anything to do with the investments that you pick. So that those are those are great questions. Keep those questions coming because I, I want to be able to answer those. And Kelsa wants to be able to answer some additional questions in the last segment. We are headed to uh, to the last break. And as a reminder, this is uh, the Making Money Fun Show with Shanna Tingham. And we'll see you at the other side. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you going through a life change like divorce, death of a spouse, or starting a business? Are you tired of financial professionals talking at you instead of with you? Are you worried that you may not have enough money to retire or to live the lifestyle you want in retirement? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need to contact Heritage Financial Strategies today. At Heritage Financial Strategies, we'll get to know your goals and dreams and design a plan together to get to achieve those dreams. Call 480-397-1184 or visit heritagefinancialad.com. My goal is to develop a relationship where you feel like you can ask me any question and know that I'll give you an honest answer. Again, that's 480-397-1184 or heritagefinancialad.com. Shanna Tinjum, Registered Representative, Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. Shannon Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. listening to Making Money Fun with your host, Shanna Tinjum. To reach Shanna or her guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Shanna at heritagefinancialaz.com. Now, back to Making Money Fun. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Shanna Tingem, the host of Making Money Fun. Here with me today is Kelsa Dickey with Fiscal Fitness Phoenix. Hi, everybody. Coffee, <laughs> I'm sorry. Sir. I got her, got her with a mouthful of coffee. Um, and so the, there are a couple of issues we want to address in our last segment, but keep those questions coming. We are live streaming this on Facebook, on the Fiscal Fitness uh, Phoenix Facebook page. So please feel free to hop over there and ask, ask any questions. Give us a call. Send us an email. Send up a smoke signal. However you want to get a question to us, we're happy to help. But there are a couple things that I did want to start by talking about. The consumption tax, which we didn't really get to touch on before break. There, There's one political uh, figure that's talking about sort of doing away with the IRS and instituting a consumption tax in the place of, you know, any sort of income tax. And I was a big, big fan of a a political figure that tried to do this about 20 years ago. Uh, Some of you probably remember, remember it. And I just don't think it's practical. I don't think it will ever happen because I think the IRS is too big of an animal for that actually to occur, at least in our lifetime, maybe in Carmen's lifetime. Oh, okay. <laughs> but probably not in ours. I think in some way, shape, or form, they're going to have to have an income tax. But if they, even if they did away with that, they would probably grandfather in some sort of rule or regulation, making it 
um, appropriate and exciting for people to save? They have to because we're yeah. we're kind of in a retirement crisis in our nation right now, mm-hmm. which is why the government has instituted the My IRA platform, which isn't kind of a big deal here in Arizona, and I'm kind of glad. But that 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 was sort of their solution to the fact that people aren't saving as much, or a lot of people are working in situations where they're not eligible for a company-sponsored retirement account. So I don't see that happening anytime in the near future, but it's possi- anything's possible, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and one of the other, those people that are usually in that situation are either people working in the gig economy or entrepreneurs or working for small businesses. And so that's another question, Kelsa, that I get a lot is, or or at least maybe I identify it, maybe they don't as much, but I look at their balance sheet and their investments and I realize it's not really a savings problem so much as it's an income problem, right? Yeah. So I do think one of the things I always like to clarify is, you know, I'm a financial coach, you're a financial advisor. There are great people out there who are business coaches where mm-hmm. they focus on if you're an entrepreneur helping your business make more money. So whether that's from a referral standpoint, helping you hone in on your ideal client, referral marketing, mm-hmm. confidence boosting, mm-hmm. you know, any number of things. How are you talking to other people? But really helping you drive the income because you could live completely lean and have very little expenses. But if you're not making even money to cover those, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not out there working with you. Right. Where business coaches sometimes are. You know, they're right. right in there with how are you spending your day? How many phone calls are you making? And so, you know, I always think it's really crucial for entrepreneurs to, you know, have a business coach that they really trust and respect and who can guide them to make more money yeah. and find a way to spend their time in a revenue generating position. Yeah. And so those are things that we don't do um, in our practices, but Kelsa and I refer out to a number of great business coaches and can can kind of help identify if that's the core issue right? and see if we can f- solve that. Because if there's not enough income coming into a household, it doesn't matter how lean you are, right? Yeah, I mean, you absolutely. can keep cutting and eliminating expenses, but if it's ultimately an income problem coming in, then we're going to have to find another solution. Yeah, and I do, you know, sort of a caveat to that is, if you find yourself always saying, I just need to make more money, mm-hmm. that's not the solution either, though. So, mm. you know, there are you, you can have an income problem, but then as soon as you make more money, you still have an income problem if your expenses go up, right? You know, right. as a result of that. And then there are people who simply they v- manage their expenses well, they don't spend too much money, and they simply have an income problem, mm-hmm. you know. And, and maybe it's just a short term income problem. Exactly. They, oh, absolutely. Maybe they went through something personal that took their focus off their business, which is so easy to do right. when you're an absolutely. entrepreneur. Um, or they had an issue with a supplier or a, an employee that left or something yeah. that sort of shook things up a little bit. And maybe all it's going to take is to find somebody that can focus on that that aspect of their life and get that back on track, right? Yes. Okay. And my focus would be in that situation would be on how to help them minimize the impact of that short-term you know, where's the best place to put this expense? Or how do we minimize if, if we're going to pay some things late or the penalties? Or, you know, the idea is that once the income does start coming back in again, because hopefully it is short term, how do we just hit the ground running? We don't want to have to dig ourselves out of a hole first and then hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. We want to be able to hit the ground running and make sure that during those three months or whatever it is that the, we're spending as minimally as possible, that we're still p- spending on a target. That way, when the money starts coming in, we're just... Yeah. You know, ready to rock and roll. So is that where you recommend this, the the savings, like the emergency fund type of a situation, so that if, if we do run into those bumps in the road, we're not like, you know, screaming and crying? Yes. And, okay. So one tip is, I don't actually like the term emergency fund. I oh, feel like it, okay. it feels very reactionary. Okay. And um, I actually think everybody should have, especially business owners, an income replacement fund. One, an emergency, you could 
dip into that if you just have some poor planning. Right. You know, um, an income replacement fund. I think when you have a business, businesses, 100% of them are cyclical. Mm. Something, you could have just a bad month. It doesn't mean you're a bad business owner. It doesn't mean you have a bad business or you made a bad decision. You could have, maybe uh, your biggest client was supposed to pay you by the 25th and it didn't come until the 1st. Right. You know? So an income replacement fund sounds much more strategic in the sense that I'm going to take this money. I'm going to keep put it into my business checking account so all the wheels stay on the bus. <laughs> and then as soon as that money comes in, I'm going to replenish it. Okay. You know, so it feels much more proactive and productive as opposed to reactionary like, oh my God, panic. <laughs> right? Right. And I think in, in business vernacular, we call that retained earnings if you want to get yes. technical oh. about it, right? Whoa, do you have an accountant coming <laughs> in one of these weeks? <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I, would, I won't speak to accounting, but that that's important. And now, you know, do you recommend that we have that in replacement fund on the personal side and the business side if we're entrepreneurs, small business owners? Technically, it could just be in the business because okay. the way it would work is that your business would then pay your personal paycheck. Got it. So if you don't have in the business, you can't pay yourself a personal paycheck. So it right. becomes both okay. by being in the business. Okay. So, And then the strategy I like to employ is don't this idea of three to six months of emergency savings and is sometimes such a large number mm. that it's very overwhelming. And so nobody wants to attempt it. It just right. seems so large that it's, I'm never going to achieve it. And so people don't, right. you know, or they don't want to start it even. Yeah. So I always say most people, if an emergency were to happen, very naturally you would go into an emergency mode, okay. right? So you would maybe not take vacations or mm-hmm. you would probably eat out a little less because you would say, oh, I need to just be careful, right? right? right. So what I recommend is take your normal budget and then look at it and say, what would my emergency budget look like? And actually put that plan in place ahead of time. Okay. Because when an emergency happens, you don't want to make those decisions then. It's already a very emotionally charged scenario. You're okay. already stressed. You're already panicked. You want to have the strategy already in place of, if something happens, here's my lifestyle. Okay. I, I said I was going to cut this. I said I was going to cut that, you know. Or, and, and then that way you get a number. Whatever that number is, take three times that. Mm, I like That's that. usually a lot lower and it feels much more obtainable. Okay. So maybe your normal living expenses every month are $8,000, but that's for vacations and gifts and, you know, clothing and all sorts of fun stuff. But if you did experience an emergency, maybe you wouldn't do a lot of those or some of them, maybe you would just do a lot smaller amount. Mm -hmm. And so your normal emergency budget then is $3,000 a month. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's just necessities. Well, in one instance, we're talking about a three month emergency fund amount of $24,000 and the other one we're talking about nine. So now it all of a sudden feels like, okay, then I I could get at least half of that. And I know I'm getting a little bit closer to my goal, you Mm -hmm, know? So mm -hmm. it's a much more strategic way, I think, of saving for that. Well, and and it's not overwhelming as much, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, that $24,000 sounds impossible, but $9,000 doesn't sound quite as impossible. Yeah, and $3,000 even, you're like, okay, I'm good for one month. Even if you had that, it kind of gives you that peace of mind. And, you know, I'm naturally a worry wart. My husband's (laughs) probably going to go like this on the live feed as I say that. But... um, so I'm naturally worried. I'm not going to be able to stop myself from having the worry of what if something happens. Okay. But simply by having these the savings in place, I can add a but to my worry. Mm-hmm. So I can say, what happens if this happens? If it does, I'm okay. Mm. You know, if it does, I'm going to be. There's so much stuff that we can't control. Right. And that's really hard for a control freak like me to admit. <laughs> but if I can say I've prepared for that outcome just right. in case, at least makes me feel a little bit better. Okay. That Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And I think that that the worry of what if is what causes us to sometimes make really dumb decisions. Right. Yeah. Because most people's reaction, I think, is what if that happens? Well, I better go and hurry up and spend this money now then. 
you know? <laughs> so it's like a, it, that's where immediate gratification takes hold. Right. As opposed to saving it, and then it just simply makes it so you don't, the worry, you know, again, has a solution. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I totally, um, totally can understand that. And Lauren's got a great question. Um, she says, do you have a suggestion for withdrawing from that fund without anxiety? Anxiety. I worked so hard to build it and talking, taking from it still hurts. Uh, you know, that's so true. I always tell people if you've got all of your savings lumped together for, uh, in one account. So if you have like all $5,000, then even if you should be giving yourself a pat on the back for having savings, if you ever have to dip into it, it feels pretty yucky. Like, <laughs> it just does not feel good. So, again, you should be feeling good about the fact that I have savings, but something about touching savings, we tend to tell ourselves, um, oh, God, I must be doing something wrong or any number of things. So, right. again, if you – one of the things that I love, a strategy, is to have a bunch of different buckets. And we actually just posted this tip on the Facebook page today. Sweet. Um so about how you can open a bunch of different savings accounts, and there's a couple of different banks I like to use. Am I allowed to say those yeah, on the radio? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. absolutely. Um, Capital1360.com and Ally Bank, so A-L-L-Y.com. Um, what they allow you to do is open as many savings accounts as you want. There's no minimum balance requirement, and there's never a fee. And so the nice thing is you can open an income replacement fund. You can have a car repair fund, a gift fund, a clothing fund. Mm. And I, ca- I call this the modern version of the cash envelope system, you know, in the old days or like we always say, well, our grandparents Actually used to have a envelopes. bunch of different envelopes. Yeah. This is, it's all online. And the cool thing about all of them is that they link directly to your checking account at whatever bank you already have. Yeah. So you don't have to change over all your current banking. You just open all these buckets. And then when you need the money, you transfer it back into your checking account. So the nice thing is... If you need money for a car repair, but you take it out of your car repair fund, instead of saying, oh my God, I had to take money out of my savings account, you simply say, I was ready for this expense. So you feel really good about it. You actually feel like I was ready for it. I'm touching this money, but I put it there for this purpose. And then the same with the income replacement fund. The income replacement fund will always probably feel a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So especially for a lot of us who like to make, you know, we're perfectionists. Lauren, are you a perfectionist? I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> so it's, I like things to go perfectly. I don't want to touch my savings just because I have it there. So, um, but as long as it's an income replacement fund, and if you can tie it to something, like I said, maybe you're expecting a thousand dollar check from somebody and you didn't get it. So you take a thousand dollars out. And then as soon as that check comes in, you put it back. Notice that that feels much more strategic than, oh, my God, where am I going to come up with money? I better take money out of savings quick before any bills don't clear, you know? Yeah. Um, So there's something about that. And, again, if you replenish it, the sooner you can replenish it, the better you start to feel about touching it because you start to trust yourself that if I touch this, I know that I'm going to put it back because I've proven that to myself. I like, and I like what you said, too, about those two banks you can actually call your accounts what what they are. So when you log in, you can you will see the name that you've given it and yes. the balance that you have and it's sort of like, wow, I can take money from the income replacement fund because that's what it's designed to do, but it better not touch that car fund because this isn't a car repair expense. It's a, it's I think an additional like mental block level. It really is. Yeah. And I you know, in my world if my car breaks down and I take money out of my car repair fund and then tomorrow I want to go on a shopping spree and buy myself a bunch of clothes 
And then the next day, maybe it's my husband's birthday and I want to buy him a really nice gift. I can do all of those things because they're not connected to my world because they each have their own separate fund. Mm. Where what happens, I think, when people touch their savings account, I think there's always this little fear of, I have to touch it for this car repair. What if this happens tomorrow now and I have to touch it again? So you always have this fear where I know even if my car breaks down and I touch that fund, the very next day something else could happen and I could touch the next account and it's not a big deal. Oh, that's a great point because I think that's what drives people to make kind of stupid decisions on one side or the other. Like you said, either it's, I better do this now because I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring or I don't want to spend this because I don't know if I'm going to have those funds available tomorrow or the next day or whatever it is, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and not only that, but your income replacement fund, there's something so nice about seeing... Um, it's very motivating. Or if you look at your savings account and you see, let's say, $5,000 in there, but you don't have a clearly defined purpose for what that money can and can be used for, you can't very quickly say, I'm good for two months of expenses. Where if you can look at your income replacement fund and you can see, even if a bunch of whammies happen, Mm -hmm. all the whammies are covered by their own account, and I'm still covered for two months if my business were to all of a sudden dry up for two months. Wow, you know, that's, or something, that's great. Yeah. Depending on how much money you have in there. I love that. I love that. I think that that's, that's amazing. And I um, would love to sit here and talk on the air with Kelsa a lot more, but we are running out of time. However, we're going to stick around after the show on our Facebook live stream for a few minutes and answer some additional questions that have just come in. So please go to Fiscal Fitness Phoenix on Facebook, and if you have any questions, we'll answer those there. Otherwise, the next two shows are going to be on the topic of estate planning, estate planning for non-traditional couples, and where there's a will, there's a way, and I'll have Becky Chaluka from Chaluka Law here to help us out with that. So as uh, we will see you in the next couple of weeks. I'm Shanna Tinjum with Making Money Fun. Thanks for tuning in today. Be sure to catch the next episode of Making Money Fun with Shanna Tinjum. Live next Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great weekend and an amazing week. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Shanna Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge, guests on this show, and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated.